But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I never told anybody to lie. Not a single time. Never. I never told anybody to lie. Not a single time. Never. This is Michelle, and I will be your host today. I am joined by Theodora Elizer, artist, theorist, and chronomancer. So we're going to talk a little bit about bending time today. But Theo and I start this conversation in the middle, <laughs> whatever that means. So we're going to have to have Theo back on, hopefully sometime when Callie can join us to discuss uh, the work that Theo does in the world as all of these things. Um, you can certainly go find out more about Theo by visiting their website, which is theoelizer.com. And I will put all of their information on our social media and down below in this podcast. And you can look forward to hearing from Theo on Secret Antenna in the future. But today's episode is a little bit of an experiment. And I hope that all of you had a fantastic Mardi Gras. Maybe um, this is going up on Mardi Gras Day just for good luck. So I guess technically you're all out there in the revelry right now. Um, but maybe you'll listen to this tomorrow and maybe it will bring you some relaxation and some creativity. Enjoy. installation piece that's going on in the French Quarter that um, that Theo is the um, creator and tender to, I'm going to say. Uh, and so I'm not going to, we're not going to say a whole lot about how this quest works because you have to kind of find your own, your own way through it. But if you enjoy, um, books and mysteries and magic you will certainly enjoy this installation and that is I was coming out of of this quest coming off the quest which can take as long as you want it to as uh, as someone who's on on the quest and I have been with my friend Kuke, a mutual friend of Theo and mine and we were we were just finishing up after a couple of hours and a text comes through from Theo and saying you know come around the corner for tea and that was really amazing because I'd never I'd never met you before that was the first time that I met you and the way the timing lined up on that was super magical for me <laughs> yeah that was that a really day. beautiful that was a beautiful moment and I also feel like the more that I dive into um, the simultaneity the more I realize that it's not a mistake when I feel like I've known somebody for years because it's just our chemistry right. is remembering we're remembering what is to come we are embodying it it's in our bodies we feel it it's not just like oh I like you it's like oh, I like what is to come because I remember. And I feel like we had that energy going in the in the room that day that we were having tea 
for the first time. I'm using air quotes <laughs> because when is yeah in the simultaneity? <laughs> when is the first in the like largeness of time? When, like, how are we going to pinpoint the first time something happened? You know. Right. I mean, that's it's it's interesting because everyone I think has that experience at some point in time. You call it some, you know, they, they just have this sense that they, everyone's had the experience of like meeting someone and like, oh, I feel like I've known you for a long time. We're having the, ex I think most people have the experience of deja vu. And I think people contextualize that differently in their day to day life. Um, but certainly for me, when I have that experience, I'm like, oh yeah, having tea for the first time, quote unquote. It definitely, <laughs> there was yeah. an ancient feel to the whole day, but we kind of talked about that too at the time, um, you know, with, with Coop also of having that experience with the, with the French Quarter, of having that relationship with the French Quarter, this kind of timeless, the timelessness that exists uh there in in a way i don't know maybe that's not exactly the right word but i always feel I, ancient yes. when i'm down in the quarter <laughs> yes i i it is no mistake that this is the neighborhood that i live in my one of my primary spiritual practices is a devotional practice to the genius lochi of new orleans and specifically to the french quarter so a lot of my work is derived from a deep cultivated conversation with the land spirit. And I don't mean that in like the sense of like some people cultivate a relationship to ancestor. This is to like the, the vibration of the land itself or in smaller ways like land as just the footprint of the property that I live on. In smaller, smaller quantities, we can have these like really deep, sometimes romantic relationships to place. And I think a lot of people feel that with the French Quarter. Speaking of cards, I have, um, I have something to report about my morning conversation with the genius Lochi. I speak to her constantly. She's constantly replying. It's a, it's a two-way conversation. And I had a very powerful, very decisive, very like concrete, moving forward, communicating with like such clarity morning. I stepped out of my front door, stepped into the street to walk towards the bookstore to turn the installation on. And directly in front of my house in the street was a book. And the book was opened to a page describing the Queen of Swords. And I turned the like front cover over and it's a tarot book that had been placed directly in front of my house in the street to the Queen of Swords, which <laughs> just really aptly describes this morning that I'm having. And a friend of mine was like, what does that mean? And I was like, it just means that the spirit says, I see you. Like, that's all it means is like, I see you keep going. You're doing a good job. Keep going. <laughs> you know, you're having this ongoing communication with the spirit of New Orleans but yeah you function on a clock too right yes absolutely and I think that part of being a chronomancer is that I am able to um, I understand the cadence of measurement in my body because my heart is polyrhythmic I can hear the rhythm of the clock which is a construct that we use because I'm I'm very rhythmic I, I understand rhythm that's just a rhythm of measurement it doesn't uh, doesn't apply to 
universal principles. It's just a rhythm of measurement. And I can feel that in my polyrhythmic heart, but also in my polyrhythmic heart, I can feel the larger, more true measurements, the larger, more true rhythms that exist simultaneously. So it's, it's not as though I am a person who rejects the, the measurements that society uses. Um, I think that measuring has a place. Like you and I agreed to begin this conversation within a particular cadence of this particular day. Um, and I'm able to be very punctual with that because also like that's part of being a good chronomancer is being able to very elegantly flow in and out and around these ideas. Right, these ideas of time and of reality. Mm-hmm, yeah, and what we're going to really decide is real and relevant. Um, like time measuring, uh, it does exist. It, the clocks do exist, but what they're telling us about reality and about ourselves is less real than we have been taught and it's only whether or not it's relevant is arguable i know one of the things that one of the things that came up in our um quote unquote first time meeting was we were um uh, we we came across the concept of like capitalism kind of using uh, using time using clock time as a mesmer. It's definitely something that I I talk about a lot. I mean, I think I talk about it on Secret Antenna quite a bit in terms of like you know capturing using the way that capitalism uses the clock. I mean, it's traditional in the old, like, if you're going to see, like, old clips of, like, of someone who's, like, hypnotizing you, it's the watch swinging back and forth on TikTok. You're getting very sleepy, right? And so capitalism kind of using this mesmer of time to capture our work, which is to, like, capture our attention, to capture us in these in these different ways. And how, like, from a magical perspective, then capitalism itself becomes this this machine that, like, steals, that steals our time. You know, to yes. me, in my head, I see this, um, I don't know, I see kind of, I see a, uh, I see a children's villain <laughs> stealing our time in this way. Like a dark tooth fairy, something that comes through your window, something like that, some kind of a Grinch. And I think, and we had discussed, I think you had brought up, you had said, you know, for you, looking at money was always just a way of, of occupying more time or purchasing more time, like putting, putting coins, maybe, I'm, that's my language, putting coins mm -hmm. into like, like the capitalism, like time machine. And, uh, and I was, I was just, uh, I don't know, that, that idea really, uh, really took me back. I refer to it as buying time. <laughs> yeah. That's what I do yeah. with money, that when I get money, I buy time. Because it is the, what we do with the sovereignty of our own minds, our own moments, every eternity that we are occupying, that is what is of value. Um, and having materials can lead to great adventures. And I am fully committed to the bid. I 
purchase objects just for the dramaturgy that will unfold based on these props. But for the most part, all I care about is buying time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I think a lot about the way that capitalism uses time measurement and timekeeping as mechanisms of control and abuse and how we have been fooled into um, really ascribing to ideas of like the labor value of bodies and time, like as if an hour is $10, you know, like that's abusive. That's really dark. And $10, if a lot of people are lucky, that's very dark, you know? Um, I think about incarceration and time abuse, how the, um, yeah. the way that we, ascribed to clock time is used as a literal form of violence against people and that we just agree that that this is a this is a good way to use our mathematics because all clock time is yeah. is us mirroring back to each other that we know how to count but it's like if we're counting days and years that a person can be abused that is that's not a system that we should um, participate in and that is not only you know, central to this idea is we should abolish prisons. Adjacent to this idea is that we should abolish linear time. Because if we're not using clock time um, to devalue and dehumanize people, we can also prevent the same abusive structure can appear in other ways if we continue to use clock time and measurement in a capacity where it takes rights away from others and this happens so early in people's lives you know from the time that um children are deemed troublemakers there's like this idea of like the permanent record that this will be counted against you forever through time like mm -hmm. it begins very early and then speaking of prison time and and this this siphoning that this mm -hmm. siphoning of hours and years and time um that's that is i mean they say time is money but they don't i feel like they don't mean it the same way that we're talking about it in, in mm -hmm. some ways like that's such a cliche little saying that the businessman says but when you it's not a cliche i mean it's not just a funny little saying it's not a metaphor when you look at that in terms of prison time literally dollars are literally being siphoned by this person's hours of torture and you know absolutely I think the last in the last number i got heard for private prisons for owners of private prisons the last number i heard was they're making profit profit forty thousand a year from each prisoner that number has probably gone up since the last time I got that status, and uh, but that's just a clean, a clear profit from people who probably were making, who were eligible at least legally to make less than that ten dollars that we already decided was abusive outside of mm -hmm. the system. Yeah, I mean, I I really like part of what I'm hearing as well in this equation: time equals money. Is if mm -hmm 
linear time equals money, then just by this equation, we know that there is something abusive happening on both sides of this. This implicates money into the, the abusive system. It, it already is like, oh, well, we know that that's part of abuse. Like I just heard this last mm -hmm. week, um, a, a news story that democratic um, politicians in Massachusetts have proposed that inmates can uh, surrender their internal organs for shortened prison sentences. Like here's another equation of like what what sort of clock measurement of time we're going to value people's literal organs at. Like the fact that there's any American citizen, it's like it's just so deeply unpatriotic that any American citizen is considered like your kidney is worth six months. That's that's it's so deeply disturbing and abusive. And it's like these logical structures should not be allowed to exist on any po in, in any political party. Like we should have more uh, so more of a sense of like brotherhood with one another. Like this is right. insane that right. we're not more protective of one another. Yes, this would have been absolutely unheard of, honestly, at some period in time when that we would probably refer to as the dark ages, honestly. Right. Um, like this is like human trafficking. It's like organ trafficking. Yeah. <laughs> so Completely legal dark. organ trafficking. Yeah. yeah. Being mashed up with, with, with time, with what time, with is, time. is worth. Right. And this is why, I mean, it sounds like at, at the at the outset, it may sound like abolish linear time is this uh, sort of um, not, perhaps not literal, maybe it's figurative. But if we really think about it, linear time mm -hmm. is being used in these ways that it is like deeply violent, like really, yes. really violent. And you can really, really deeply violent. And as you are saying these things, so many things flash through my mind. And just uh, also, you know, in schooling. I mean, you're we were saying it starts so early. And schooling and the use of linear time and violence is begins immediately in schooling, which relates then to the violence of working, which then relates to the violence of incarceration. Like all of these things escalate on one another. I, that's interesting. I guess I hadn't really thought about this before, even though I'm sure it's been said to me directly. Maybe it just clicked in this moment. The way um, the way prison is actually an escalation from schooling. I'm sure that's been said to me directly, but for some reason it just clicked in a totally different mm -hmm. way right this minute. Of course I right. knew that. Um, but woo, just clicked right in there. <laughs> Right, it's but it's really helpful to you... think about it as, t as as a form of time violence because yes. that's the that's the part yes. where it's like, oh, at no point in your in in you having a body in this dimension, at no point yes. of that body existing, do you have sovereignty? If you are in, yes. and and I'm not a person who's like oh, the best way to approach things is like raise your children eating mushrooms in the forest. I don't think that everyone needs to like run away. <laughs> but I mm -hmm, do mm -hmm. think that just realistically as participants in society, we should um, be clear that like 
sovereignty is very rare. Yes, like that's that's a really good point to, to make, and that is the that is the extra click that just happened there, the time violence and that relationship, and how we set it up from the beginning to be escalated one step at a time to where we're really we're we're really a society that right now, right now, right this second, this second in linear time, even mm-hmm. we are a society that um, I can go just a few miles away and buy some weed in the very same state that just 20 minutes away is Marion Prison where people are sitting doing time mm-hmm. for having Doing pot. time. Yeah. Doing time. Serving Literally, time. That's doing weed. time. Serving time. Yeah. Ooh, I got to chill. Yeah. Why does it feel I so know. different when we talk about it this way in this because... state of mind? But it does. <laughs> because there's actually something so existentially magically urgent politically urgent communally urgent for us to question the very foundations that the capitalist heteropatriarchy are built upon i don't think of myself as an activist because i'm not doing direct action work but i think of myself as somebody in deep support of direct action activists direct action abolitionists because what i can do with my privilege is I can go to the fringe and I can examine things that other people maybe cannot for fear of being considered crazy or unhinged. And I can dig my heels in and say, no, I am not living a linear life anymore. And I'm going to create as much methodology and theory around this as possible so that other people can can come occupy this space with me because we urgently need to consider how this framework is being used against us. And just from that chain of events, just from that chain, that just really clicked for me, like how urgent it is to like step out of like the, the linear time. I mean, sure, it's a tool, fine, but really recognizing its lack of ability to address reality. Prison and time in prison and the way the that abuse using time to abuse people as a template that if we don't step in as abolitionists that template gets used in other areas of life and I'm thinking of the workplace would be one of the places that template gets placed Yes, yes the workplace debt the very idea of property is a time it's it's us again mirroring to each other that this is real uh intergenerational wealth insurmountable amounts of privilege can only exist to create inequities in this world if we all agree that time and inheritance is real in this way people can only abuse um massive structures of time-based privilege if we agree that we're allowed to count things in this in this capacity like it's it's really it's like we are we are obsessed with our ability to count but we're ruining the planet and we're abusing all of the occupants of this planet every earthling is being abused based on time-based violence 
Right. Obsessed with our ability to count, which is what you said earlier about yes. show it like punctuation. Like we're just mirroring to each other our ability to count, our punctuation, punctuality. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. And so and so that same ability to count, it goes through generations literally, is us counting our our mm-hmm. spawn <laughs> over mm-hmm. time. And so creating these like generational wealth again is this ability to count. And we use generational wealth. Yeah. And we use that. Because like deeds, yeah, exactly. Because deeds and contracts that follow over and over and continue to privilege the same people over and over, those are valid because we agree that something that existed 200 years ago should still belong to the same people. We're like, oh, yeah, that follows. I'm still counting this as as valid. We can undermine these structures. We can take this away. We don't have to allow everybody who um, was a privileged landowner 200 years ago to uh, repeat the same cadence over and over. That doesn't need to exist. We are obsessed with the idea of an arrow directed towards the future, but that is not really how time works. That's how counting works. If you decide to count in an ascending capacity, you're always going to keep going. And that little magical piece of paper with that little magical stamp on it, that's a little magical notary gnome back in 1878 stamp. It keeps Mm -hmm. pointing towards the future. And in linear time, we keep saying, yep, that's right that's the stamp valid valid like validating abusive structures we do and it's it's hard to it's hard to get to the bottom of things it's hard to say what if we don't just need to take down the prisons but we need to take down the things that we say are real that support that because it's up to us it's absolutely up to us to decide what's real. But I mean, this is not just about prisons. It's also about what we think of as neuroconforming and um, neurodivergent. A lot for a lot of people being neurodivergent is dangerous because of the mm-hmm. um, system, uh, system of incarceration and uh, medical systems that disadvantage them. Like it's actually dangerous to be nonlinear. Um, yes. Part of part of really undoing this, like loosening the bolts on this machine, is to figure out the multiplicity of ways this enters into people's lives. Um, there are so many people who have the ability to see in multiple directions or to experience memory in multiple directions, but they cannot reveal it because society disadvantages them and we are so wrapped up in um, this arrow into school, into jobs, into retirement, that people are rightly afraid that if they lose credibility, they will literally lose their ability to provide for themselves and this country is so brutal that people who are deemed uh, crazy can actually lose so much that they um, end up houseless. You know, like there's just the the line between, you know, being um, a working person and a houseless person is very like we are like what is that that like new 
sort of like meme phrase, which is like, we are all much more likely to be houseless than a millionaire or a billionaire, like siding with people like Elon Musk and, and glorifying them is insane because we're all so much closer to a line of losing everything in this, in this like brutal society that we live in. But a lot of this also is about perception and how, you know, in, in the like, uh, with the umbrella of expected normativity, people actually have to be careful. Some people, you know, can exercise their privilege. Like being an artist means that I can sound crazy if I, if I choose. <laughs> but there are lots of people who would lose credibility if they seemed to really break from normative structures of reality in, in what they claim is real or not. And losing credibility matters in our society to people's livelihoods and survival. Oh, 100%. I mean, just a little bit of stepping aside, just a little bit of fringe belief will put you outside of um, being um, people and feeling like you're one of them. It can put it can put you yeah. in very tricky territory. Yeah, very tricky. Definitely. The debt structure you mentioned mm -hmm. debt also, right? And how that relates. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like it it shouldn't exist. It's predatory. It the whole structure is just a predatory riddle. Like certain things are not designed to work out well. Like it's it's right. not. It's not um, disastrous by accident, it's disastrous by design. It should not mm -hmm. exist because it is never designed to end up in like a good destination. Um, right. it's, it's, a, it's a form of time, it's another, it's a softer mm -hmm. form of time incarceration because it doesn't have a location, but it's mm. non-location specific time incarceration because people who are radically in debt cannot escape that debt and they know that they will burden their loved ones with the same um pressure to mm -hmm. re return the money like it's it should mm -hmm. not exist it's another it's another design that um shouldn't be allowed but scarcity structures in a society with as many resources as ours shouldn't shouldn't exist the fact that we don't have universal basic income is criminal yeah it's there there is no way to excuse that anybody has to struggle to um be comfortable and safe and healthy in their bodies that should just be what people step into and then and then we support their ingenuity by giving them education by giving them the chance to work for money if they want to do something with that money or allowing them to just exist comfortably without the pressure because it's coercive. You know, we, we recognize parts of it and it just takes a while to draw the flowchart back to linear time, but the amount of ways that shame and self-doubt and self-sabotage and a low sense of personal value are used against people and against communities is um it's part of 
it's part of the the social design that we're living in like it's it again is part of the purpose of these structures the amount of shame and embarrassment and inadequacy that people feel especially because we're taught these things about money we're taught that money is aspirational we're taught that um you know there's like a certain amount of like aspirational property acquisition and like accomplishment that um shows that that people are succeeding at being alive and it's really really dangerous to ascribe to that personally because it can really distort the like personal sense of purpose and self like what is our purpose of being alive but it also is a, a value that gets taught at a very young age that like there there are milestones to this beautiful life and those include pair bonding and property acquisition you you know you you're 22 years old and you have three kids you know and you work at a restaurant you're not and everybody around you is telling a story about who you are and who they are and none of it's in favor and you're not going anywhere and that's the trap that's the material trap and there's so much nonsense going on that like oh well you could do this for yourself and do that and you have the same 24 hours in a day and it's like i don't you're not understanding what this kind of hardship means to people. Like, you don't get it. That's not true. No, it's not. It's absolutely not true. We can count to 24 every day, mm -hmm. but every day is a different flow of time. Yes. It really is. Yes. It, like, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so deeply, deeply devoted to New Orleans, <laughs> the French Quarter is that we all know this via Mardi Gras. Like, I, I, was, I was at a party last night, which hilarious because I don't remember the last time I wasn't dancing. And so I was at a party last night um, for a friend and everybody there was like, I don't know what day it is. I have no clue what day it is. I have no clue. We are still two weeks away from Mardi Gras, but but we already have entered this slippage. We've entered the hinge. We are between worlds already. We are in the passage of the trickster already. We are in this really profound, blurred space where these um, measurements of counting have stopped applying to what we're experiencing. And New Orleans gives this gift to everybody who wants to experience it and a lot of places don't have that built in they don't have this um this ritualized uh immersion built into the culture but but you know we have the opportunity to immerse ourselves in the nonlinear together collectively like the only thing linear happening in a in a really relevant sense for me right now like what i find relevantly linear is i can tell what has recently happened because my body is sore from dancing so much <laughs> i know i know a story my my body is singing the song of a of a of a recent experience 
through how sore my legs have been for days. <laughs> like, this is, this is the song that my body is singing right now. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. That's yeah. so lovely and so wonderful. Yeah. Perhaps it's a memory, though. I mean, it could also be a premonition that my body is uh, singing to me. A, a memory of dancing tonight and tomorrow and every other night, <laughs> you know? Like, who am I to say? Who am I to judge where this, like, what direction this experience is coming from? more than they really to put it in to put it in one way i think it's the experience of experiencing reality in a really kind of raw way that uh that people don't realize is actually like they're that they're having a moment where linear time reveals itself to just be one way of labeling you know the files it's just one way of counting as you as you say and I, one thing that we talk about on here a lot, and we did touch on it a little bit earlier, is the way that, um, you know, generational wealth. And I mean, I almost think of it as like, as a legacy magic, because folks who realize, and this, you know, this goes again, uh, goes across these different class lines, because maybe I want to back up first a little bit here and touch on when we're talking about people being in debt and people coming into contact uh, with uh, with various echelon, various um, institutions in society and self-worth, something that hits me a lot because I've, I've been able to have different class experiences to, to a certain degree. I mean, lower middle class class experiences have probably been the top of the class experiences I've been allowed to have, so to speak. Um, but just in terms of like medical, like I've had, you know, really, you know, public medical health. And the thing is, is that walking in to, to that, in my experience in life, is the way that you get treated. You get treated worthlessly. Like you're sick because something's wrong with you. You're fundamentally defective. You didn't do this, you didn't do that. You probably sleep too late. You probably don't eat right. You probably don't pay attention in school. Like that's gonna like give you health problems or whatever. So you're me, and that's all across the board. That's when you're sick, it's at the dentist, it's trying to get glasses. And if you want a pair of glasses that look nice on your face, that's because you're vain. You know, you need to just take what you're given and be happy with it, don't be vain. But that's the way you're treated, right? Um, on, this, on this other hand, when you're not coming, from that disadvantage, the financial disadvantage, which we place finances right next to time, obviously, right? Because poor people's time isn't worth any money, right? Um, you, when you go up the class ladder in, in getting treatment from school or from in schools, you're treated like, well, we expect you to succeed. Not like, oh, sleeping again, wooden head, got a, got a head full of lead, huh, sleeping? We don't, don't get treated like that. Like, of course you were a little tired. You were you were restless last night. But we expect you to succeed, so you will. So you get treated like that in school. You get treated in these different ways by the medical community. So here's all of these confrontations that we're having in society that make us very hard for us to understand one another. Somebody who doesn't really know that you get treated so worthlessly by your teachers and doctors when you don't come from when you don't have that money, you don't have that time, you're not getting that advantage of time in that way. 
the way that your self-perception comes to develop the difference in how these two people are going to confront and face the world. And I'd also like to say this, the difference in the two sets of mental health, which we can definitely ascribe to having differences in time, uh, the way time is experienced, is just going to be very, your mental health, time is experienced differently by variances in, in mental health, quote unquote, what's happening, I know, but, but we're, we're using words today. Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. And I think that like part of what I'm thinking about with what you're saying is like, based upon how much privilege and wealth a person is born into, our culture makes assumptions and assignments of the value of their time. So a person who's considered poor, it's like, oh, are you stressed out because you don't have money? Get a third job and, and work for $7 an hour. Like, are you lazy or what? Like, get a third job. Uh, like, why did you buy yourself a fancy $4 drink? Like, you shouldn't be treating yourself to things. Just get a third job because that'll right. fix it. Like, go find your bootstraps and pull on them, right? So right. that's how people who are presumed to not have privilege or material possession are treated, whereas a person who the world, our, our okay. culture interacts with as being privileged or being wealthy, it's like, oh, are you stressed out? Right. Take a vacation, take some me time. When did you last pamper yourself? Um, you need a break, uh, do something for yourself, treat, treat yourself. And it's, it's like the presumption is uh, use this time for you. This time is for you. That's not like the the sort of the, the assumption of like literally what people's time is worth and how they should use time to recover from the stressors of life is totally different based on how we perceive their uh, economic status. Um, right. Like and how we perceive our own. Right. Yeah, and this is why, like, I think that we talked, or perhaps I'm always talking about this, so it could have been just me with anybody, <laughs> about, um, for me, the work that I'm doing is, um, it always comes back to play and magic being tools and strategies of um, becoming liberated from oppression. And the reason that play and magic are so necessary and so vital is like not only are they free and and like totally <laughs> readily um accessible to everybody but they break down the the value systems that tell us that um what we have access to and what we deserve are just the shitty glasses or the you know the little scraps that people are 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 willing to give to those who are seen as like not being worthy um if we're playing and if we're magical we can often individually and collectively in community raise each other up by developing totally new standards of what has value what is beautiful what is vital and we can reality confirm with each other 
in a way that helps aid each other's survival through this really dark culture. Um, but we do that with play and magic. Like the ingenuity of like, um, you know, altering one's own clothes to express personal style. It's like, well, that for a lot of people that comes from like not having a lot in the first place and taking a sense of yeah. agency in it. And like, this is like really tangential off of time, but when we play and when we practice magic with time, we can actually like really unsettle and disrupt some of the biggest structures of oppression that we're facing. And you are in the midst of the best play period of the year. Yeah. So. <laughs> Fortunately. <laughs> so I hope that we will do this again and we'll just keep adding layers over time to what to this conversation. I would love that. Let's um we'll make it an ongoing collaborative score. I love that. Well thanks again, Pia, and until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.